our gift to you. If you're joining us online, welcome. We're thrilled to have you with us as well. Uh, please let us know you're here by filling out the online connection card at estespark.church. Now, as we prepare our hearts for worship, we want to make sure that we remove distractions. So let's also take a moment to pull out our cell phones and to put them onto silent or do not disturb. And as we do that, here are a few announcements of some of the great things that are happening this week at the church. If you're a follower of Jesus but have never been baptized, there will be a baptism class next week at 9.30 for anyone who is interested. Jesus says that every believer should be baptized as an act of faith, so if you're ready to take this next step of faith, we want to take it with you. In the baptism class, one of our pastors will explain what biblical baptism is and why we do it. On the following Sunday, October 30th, we will be having a baptism celebration after second service. If you're interested in baptism, just mark the baptism box on the back of your connection card or talk to one of our pastors after service is over. Fifth Sundays here at CCEP are always a treat because it means we get together in between services for our church family brunch. However, fifth Sunday this month will be just a little bit sweeter as we will be having our first ever CCEP pie contest. If you want to sign up for our pie contest and reserve a spot on the table, just write pie on the back of your connection card. One of our favorite parts about fifth Sunday brunch is not the foods or desserts, even though they are a huge plus, but rather fellowship that we have as one church as we meet and mingle over fantastic food and drink. So in two weeks on October 30th, break out your best pie recipe and be here at 9.30 to share in our favorite Sunday of the month. Speaking of fifth Sunday of the month, we are having an informational meeting about next year's missions trip to Mexico on October 30th. We want to be a church that is serious about living out the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations. While on the Mexico trip, we will be partnering with Pastor Roberto and Betty Martinez to serve their church and share the gospel in their community, which is very broken and far from God. The best part about this trip is that there's a place for everyone to be the hands and feet of Jesus in practical ways, like playing soccer with local teenagers, putting on a vacation Bible school for local children, doing building projects at the church, and many other ministries. On October 30th, after second service at 12 p.m., Pastor Jesse and the Mexico Trip leadership team will be holding a no-commitment informational meeting right here in the family room. If you aren't able to make it to the meeting, don't worry. Just connect with Pastor Jesse in the next few weeks and he'll give you all the information you need. We still have lots of opportunities for how you can be a part of the Mexico team all the way from Estes Park if you can't physically travel to Mexico. So come to the meeting at noon, grab an information packet from Pastor Jesse after service is over, or write Mexico Trip on the back of your connection card. This cross-cultural experience is open to anyone who is a follower of Jesus, so choose to live out the Great Commission and join the Mexico team today. Well, good morning, church. Man, we said pie contest. I heard a bunch of y'all say, whoa. Aren't you saying we're going to worship the Lord this morning? Man, he's good, isn't he? Romans 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is through him that we have obtained access by faith into this grace 
in which we now stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Man, if there is not a reason in your life this morning to rejoice, there's at least one. It is that by faith we have been given access into the grace in which you and I now stand. Amen? So let's worship the Lord. This is a failing love. 
Can you give the Lord some praise this morning, church?
Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glories, inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be held over everything in the church which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. Let's exalt the king. Would you just sing holy, holy, holy?
that you love us and confidence that you will answer. continue in our prayers this morning. Pray for the transforming of our minds and our hearts in Christ, that we may become more like him and less like this world, that we might be the beacons of light. pray for the families and the marriages in the church, that they will stay united, that they will stay strong, that Christ will be the center and the foundation of all of them, so that the unity will be holy and unbreakable. for unity in our homes. Let us pray that conflicts will be ended swiftly and amicably. Let us pray that we will be united in our goals, united as a family, just as the family of God is united. these prayers up to you this morning. We do so recognizing that by the strength of our own power, by the strength of our own will, we have no right to come before your throne. And yet you have mercy on us. In spite of our sins, in spite of our struggles, in spite of everything that drags us down, you reach to us, grasp us by the hand and pull us up into your presence. We are so grateful for this, Lord, because it is amazing beyond words. As we lift up our prayers this morning, we do so in hopes that we pray along with your will. And to that end, we ask that you would tune our minds and our hearts and our souls to you and to your will and to your design, so that even as we pray, we might not be praying of our own selfishness, but praying so that your kingdom be glorified, so that your name be honored. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we enter into this time of communion and the trays are passed around, take one of the juice and one of the crackers and hold on to it until the end of the meditation and we'll take it together as a family. <clears throat> in John chapter 17, 
we read his prayer for his disciples. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Let's take a moment to think about what that means, and especially in light of communion. That Jesus came not to divide us, but to unite us with him and with each other to be of one mind and of one spirit, to know the truth that God has laid down in this book, to know that it is the truth. And though the world might hate it, this is our anchor point. Let us take a moment to ponder our unity with God and with each other. Jesus was betrayed. He took that bread and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples, the same disciples he prayed over in the scripture I read. And he told them that this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And now together, one body, the same body as those disciples, unified in Christ. Let us take this bread together. in the same way Jesus took that wine and he blessed it he gave it to his disciples and he said this is my blood which is poured out for you as often as you do this do this in remembrance of me and now together one family in God adopted children through Christ let us take this juice together Heavenly Father as we partake of the communion this morning Help us to remember its significance and its power. 
that this communion is symbolic of the sacrifice that you made. Help us to remember that it was a real sacrifice and not just something we talk about. Help us to remember this so that we may be one family, united in you as you are in Christ and as Christ is in us. We pray this so that the world may see us, whether by our words, by our actions, or simply by our presence. They will see you in us, through us, be drawn into your embrace so that your name be glorified that your kingdom be on earth as it is in heaven. We pray all of this in the most holy and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. We are so glad to have you with us this morning. If you are a guest, we have a special gift for you. It is a book called Unshakable. If you haven't already received your copy, please stop by the Welcome Center after the service. Today, we'll be in our series, Beautiful by Design, Biblical Wholeness from Gender to Generation. In our current world, where there is so much tension surrounding topics like gender, marriage, identity, and family, God, who is the architect of it all, decisively reveals his beautiful design for it in his word. In this series, Pastor Aaron will begin to help us recognize that the author of life itself knows how it can best be lived and enjoyed, and that his blueprints for humanity found in scripture truly do lead to personal wholeness and human flourishing. Before we get started, let's talk about the green connection card in your bulletin. Once you have your card, please fill out your name and current contact information. One of the primary reasons we ask you to fill out the connection card is because we believe that God has a reason for having you here today. By filling out the card, you're letting God know that you're ready to take some next steps as the service progresses and it allows us to pray for you and support you as you take those next steps. Pastor Aaron will share more about those next steps at the end of today's service. So hold on to your connection card and drop it in the offering basket at the end of the service. Inside your bulletin, you'll also find an offering envelope. If you came prepared to give today, please place it in the offering basket along with your connection card. You can also give online at our website, estespark.church forward slash give. Now that we've gone over the connection card, let's turn our attention to the word of the Lord and get into the message. Well, good morning. Yeah, welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. We're disciples of Jesus that build generational, transformational disciples of Jesus. So I'm Pastor Aaron, and I'm happy to have you with us today. So we are... Week three in our uh, series, Beautiful by Design, and I hope this has been an encouraging series for you. A lot of really good news uh, that uh, God has a better way for us, right? We don't have to live in the confusion that the world has. And so far, we've uh, talked about uh, beginning that uh, this is a series really for Christians. So if you're not a believer yet, uh, we're glad that you're here with us today. Just realize that this is maybe an opportunity to pull back the curtains and kind of see uh, some of the great things that God has in store for His people and, and one of the ways that He calls us to live our lives and the clarity that He brings. But for us as believers, uh, we started a few weeks ago, we talked about really where it's our core identity come from. And it's not from what this world says uh, that it comes from. It's not from external things like my race or my gender or anything like that, that, that I am 
fundamentally who God says I am. That's, I'm not who the world says I am. I'm not who I think I am. I'm who God says I am. And that's really important for us. That's why we die to ourselves in baptism and are raised into a new life. We let God redefine us. And then last week, uh, we talked about in that redefinition, as God gives us part of it, is the as we look at how God made us and, and all the different areas that he created us, part of that is gender, and that's a reflection of him, that he made us male and female in, in his image. And so there are two genders. Uh, they are male and female, and males are men, and, and females are women, and, and both of those reflect the glory of God and who he is, and that's not based upon culture didn't decide that, and that's not based upon my feelings. It's based upon who God designed me to be, and that's a wonderful, affirming thing. And then today, we're going to talk about that next step is really then how does uh, God use those? How does that reflect him in the institution that God created, which is we know as marriage, which is an important institution, a really good one. And so as we start that, let's just remember again that we look at the world, which is filled with confusion, and we're, we don't mock the world. In fact, our hearts break for this world. It's a, uh, they try to do their best. Uh, most people are not immoral if they're thinking. They're wrongly moral. They're, they're highly moral, in, in their, but they just... That what they think is right is typically misguided. <laughs> so, uh, and, and in that, oftentimes they, they think they're doing well, and then all of this brokenness happens in their life, and they put all this energy, and it doesn't go anywhere. It's kind of a futile way of living. Look at the marriages in our culture and the disarray and then the, uh, that they're in and the damage that happens in the family and the children. I could tell you as a coach in the schools, how my heart breaks for so many of these students that just have these, these devastated homes based upon futile thinking that is being taught in this world today. But we don't have to live that way. In fact, that goes back to our memory verse uh, that says, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Of course, every series we do have a memory verse that we set to our heart and minds, and what a wonderful truth that is, that we don't have to live that way, that God has given us a better way, a not futile way of living. In fact, it doesn't just suggest that we live this better way, but it says uh, we must no longer live that way. So as we Remind ourselves of this truth one more time. Let's, let's do that, and then we'll get into the message. So say it along with me. Here we go. Three, two, one. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking, Ephesians 4, 17. That feel good? Isn't that awesome that, that we have a better way and that, that there is a difference and there's always been a difference between culture and Christ's kingdom, and we've been offered an opportunity to step out of that and to live according to God's design. So here's a great thing for you to do. On your connection card, there is that Bible memory verse. Uh, it's paraphrated. Take that with you. Remind yourself of this, because it's not just in these areas, which are hot-button topics in our culture today, but in every area where God has called us to the higher life, the better life, the holy life, which leads to wholeness. All right, as you do that, uh, why don't we turn our Bibles to Ephesians 5, uh, and uh, as you do that, I just want to say thank you all. Uh, you purchased for me this week a new clicker. And it's so nice. I so appreciate you to be able to do that for me. It even buzzes in my hand when it goes forward, and so I know that I clicked the button. You're wonderful. Thank you uh, for, for providing that for me. So hopefully things go smoother today in technology. Now, hopefully I gave you some time to turn to Ephesians 5. This is where we're going to be. It's one of the three passages in Scripture that speaks directly on family. In the New Testament, that talks about family and how it's structured. The other two are, are Colossians 3 
and uh, 1 Peter 3. So uh, we're going to be seeing some passages in those as well today as we can get some context into that. Now in Ephesians, of course, the, the apostle through the Holy Spirit is, is writing to this church in this very pagan culture about the different way that God calls us to live, right? And of course, in that we are called not to live according to the futility of lifestyle that uh, dominated their culture at the time, right? We don't live according to the way that the Gentiles do. Well, uh, in that part of that, he talks about family because just like today in the ancient world, families were a little bit in a disarray. There was not the ethics and the norms. We, we've come from 2,000 years of Christian culture. <laughs> they came pre that, right? Especially the Gentiles. They had no idea how family was supposed to operate, and it was kind of a mess. And if you, and the church in Ephesus was a very Gentile culture. And uh, so when we get into this passage, we see God revealing for us a better way of life for families to work according to the design of, of our Creator. And we're going to be today in verses 21 through 32. And that's really where it specifically hones in and talks about how God designed marriage to work and why it's designed to work. And as we go in that, there's some, just some ground rules, some, some basic things that you're going to notice as we get into that, which was really kind of profound thought. And the first one is this, is that marriage is a lifelong union between a man and a woman. That's the definition of marriage. That is the biblical definition of marriage. This is the assumed understanding of what marriage was for millennia throughout all kinds of different cultures and things like that, but especially in Scripture. Um, really hasn't been until very, very recently that has even been questioned. Like uh, even 10 years ago, no one even doubted this or questioned it. We're like, of course, that's what marriage is. It's a lifelong union where there's coming together between two individuals, one man and one is a woman, and they come together. And so when Jesus talks about marriage and the apostles talk about marriage, in the Old Testament, when the prophets talk about marriage, this is what they're talking about, because definitions matter. And that's what it's been in, in, in the faith forever and in our culture ever since the foundation of our country and well before that, this is their understanding. So when we talk about marriage, this is what that is. Why? Well, uh, the very last verse in there, verse 31, it says there, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So the very end of this description in Scripture about what marriage is and how it's to operate, again, it goes back to uh, the, the reason why we do get married is part of the design. What was that? You have a man being united to his wife, which is a woman, right? And they become one, lifelong union between a man and a woman. And that has to do with who we are. Now, this is referencing creation, the very beginning, book of Genesis, chapter 2. In fact, verse 223, which says this, it says, a man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, that's at the very beginning in creation, before the fall, before there was culture, before there was society to, to define what marriage was. This was at the very, very beginning before there was anything bad, right? When God created Adam, he was lonely, and, God's, and, and then he created Eve and brought her to Adam, and this is what the very beginning is what it says, that, that, that they were designed, man and woman were designed to be united by God together, and the two shall become one. It's why? Because this is how we were created. That's what it says. It's part of our design. It's part of how we reflect God's his image in our masculinity and femininity. It's an amazing thing. And so when we look at this, we recognize that culture is not something that can be read, or that marriage is not something to be redefined by culture. Marriage is not something to be defined by people. 
because it wasn't created by people and it wasn't created by society. It wasn't created by culture. It was designed by God. All right? And so we look at this as a, actually a miracle. So we say uh, marriage is the union between a man and a woman. Who unites them? How do you take two and to make them one? That's kind of a miracle. Well, I'll tell you who doesn't do it. It's not the man and the woman. You can take two people and smush them into each other, and that doesn't make them one. It's not the state. There wasn't a government here that was there that made Adam and Eve one. Who made Adam and Eve one? Well, Jesus answered that for us. In the book of Matthew, he just talks about this, and he's really discussing divorce and things like that. He says that for this reason, uh, you know, a man shall uh, let no man separate what God has joined together, right? That's what he says, that God created, the two came together, and let no one separate what God has joined together. Well, the creator gives us an insight. Who joins the man and woman? Who unites them? God. And only God can do that, which I think is amazing, that marriage is a miracle of God, where he takes two individuals and somehow makes them one. I can't do that. In fact, when I do a marriage, I'm called an officiant, right? That's what I, I get to do, and I get to perform a wedding ceremony. I don't marry people. God marries people. It's kind of like at the football game. You'll notice I'm wearing purple because it's homecoming week, and our boys did a very good job, had very many touchdowns last week. And on Friday, it was, it was a lot of fun, and we had officials there. They officiated the game, and you know where there was a lot of touchdowns, but you know who didn't score any of them? The officiants. They didn't do any of the touchdowns. All they did is they, their job was to, when a touchdown was scored, is they say, there's a touchdown scored. And that's what I get to do as an officiant for weddings. I get to see that two people come together and, and they make vows to each other and then God joins them together and I say, touchdown, that's it. But I don't join them and the state certainly doesn't join them together. In fact, we declare them married husband and wife before they even sign the wedding certificate. God joins them together. It's a miracle. It's part of our creation. It's part of our design. It's a wonderful thing, right? And so we see that marriage is a union between a man and a woman, that God joins them together. And why would God do that? That seems so weird, doesn't it? But you have people that are pretty good, seems like, on their own. They're, they're, they're nice individuals. I know them. Why would God stick two people together? Well, nothing we'll find, another thing we'll find in Scripture in this is that the primary purpose of marriage is to reflect God's image and His nature. That's why. That's part of our creation, that we were made in His image. Male and female, He created them, right? And in that context, He made them in the context of being married. That you have two becoming one, right? And so there are lots of secondary benefits of marriage, that you get to have kids and, and a healthy home to raise them in. It creates a healthier society. You have a partner in life that makes things better and all those good things, right? There's a lot of benefits for marriage, but that's not why primarily marriage exists. It's not about us. It's about God. It's reflecting Him and who He is to this world, right? And I think that is what makes marriage so holy. It's, it's one of only two institutions in an entire creation that God he designates roles within, like this is how it's supposed to be set up. God doesn't tell us how to do government, and I think we would all say that government's kind of an important thing, isn't it? Yeah, we, we got like an election coming up, and if you heard about that, right? And government matters. Why doesn't God talk about government? It certainly makes a big difference in our life. Well, he says, well, that's up to you. Decide how you're going to do that. He doesn't tell us how to run our clubs or anything like that, but he does tell us how to structure church, and he tells us how to structure marriage, because both of those institutions were designed by God to reflect him. And that's why marriage is holy. 
is different. It's unlike anything else. It's not up to us. It's not our prerogative to switch it around. We can't even do it if we wanted to. We can call things marriage that aren't marriage, but it doesn't make them marriage. And we can operate our marriages in a way that is futile and, and, and contradictory to the way God designed it, but that doesn't alter the fundamentals of what marriage is and why it exists. Marriage exists to reflect God, his image and his nature, which is a beautiful, wonderful thing. How cool is God that he allowed humans that dignity and all of creation to do this? Right, Ephesians 5.32, right, so near the end of where we're going to be our passage we're studying today, says this. He says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church, right? So he's talking about marriage, how the marriage is supposed to be set up, and he says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he says, and this is a profound mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. You're like, wait a second, you've been talking about marriage the entire time. He's like, yeah, because the two are so entwined. You can't understand how church is to be set up and designed and how it's supposed to operate if you do not understand how family was to be designed and set up. Because the church is a family, and both reflect God. Both were designed by God to reflect His image and His nature, and was part of our created design. I, that's an amazing thing. And you know what's something then? Because of this, it shouldn't surprise us that these two institutions have gender roles. I know that's really against the feudal thinking of our culture, who hates that. But think how beautiful that is, because God made us male and female in His image. Both the masculinity and the femininity, men and women, both reflect God in his nature. It shouldn't surprise us then an institution designed to reflect God in his nature would have a place for men and women there. I mean, it's dignifying for both. Well, look at Genesis 1.27. Right? We go right back to creation, and it talks about this. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. So we're different than all creation. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Right? Humans reflect God's nature in who we are. That's partly why we started with the very beginning of who am I? What is my identity? Well, I'm who God says I am. And that you were not created by accident. And culture may be very con confused about what that means. And sometimes because of that, we become very confused by what that means. But God is not confused. He created you. He created every person, male or female, and he created them including you, to reflect his image. He's, in, he's endowed upon you something very, very holy. And then, as part of that, he invites us into an, a beautiful relationship that reflects that in a great, even a greater way, and that is marriage. That in marriage, the masculine and feminine, the man and the woman are bonded together in unity, put together by God to reflect him in a greater wholeness. For a man can't reflect the feminine aspects of God the way that a woman can, and a woman can't reflect the masculine aspects of God the way that a man can. But in marriage, both are represented, and it's an amazing thing. That's why marriage is such a wonderful thing. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It's why, and society and humanity and everything is, is founded upon solid, healthy homes, marriages, because that is where we fit our first design, what God created us to be. So, Hebrews 13.4 then talks about how personally God takes it when we mess up marriage and we don't honor it. He's, and he's talking to Christians here in, in the book of Hebrews. He says, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. God takes it personally when we alter or, or degrade or de mess up his design. Right? It's every Christian's 
responsibility to protect the holiness and to recognize the sanctity of marriage. Not because culture says it's important, but because it's there to honor God. Right? It's a big deal for us. And it's not just married people honor marriage. We all do. That was one of the problems with the sexual revolution where people were just talking, well, all the things that we thought happened to happen in marriage don't have to happen in marriage. It doesn't matter. And look what's happened to society. You know that the, the temple was also designed by God to kind of to represent him and Christ and Christ's work, and God really took it personally uh, if people would mess up and, and, and desecrate the holy space because it was a desecration of who he is. It was a dishonoring of God and his images and nature. Marriage is the same thing, which is why it is imperative and non-negotiable as Christians that we honor the institution of marriage, one man, one woman for life, and because it's a reflection of God. What a wonderful thing. Now, notice in here it talks about sexual purity. That's a big part of it, and that's a big trigger thing for our world because that was used as a bludgeoning weapon, I think, in the 90s against people, and it turned them. I'll tell you this. God loves people why he made us. He made marriage so we could reflect him as people. It elevates us. And part of that, that union, that sexual union that we all need to honor, right? And so when we dishonor that in our actions, and we, it's, a, it's a way of engaging the world saying marriage isn't important and God isn't important and, and who he is isn't important. It's, it's a bad thing. But I also want you to notice in this, it's not just that God's going to judge the adulterer. That's one form of sexual immorality. It's all of it. Like he, he goes on, for the sec- God will judge all the sexually immoral. God wants us to, to support marriage in every stage of our life, whether you are young and single, if you're old and single, if you're married, if, if you're not married, if you've been married and divorced, if you're widowed or widower, all of us, marriage should be honored by all. Good thing. But also because it's an image of God that we're talking about uh, that marriage reflects God's image, it's not just that we should be uh, honor the, the sexual fidelity in marriage, but we should honor the bonds of marriage, why marriage exists is to honor who God is. So abusive marriages, marriages where the husband and the wife treat each other like trash, that are horrible to each other, that neglect each other's kids and all these things, also gives a marred image of who God is. This is not a good thing. So marriage needs to be lifted up and supported. First Peter says this, it says, husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. The scripture even talks about if marriages are operated in an abusive way where husbands are, are just being awful to their wives and things like this, that that does not honor God. In fact, it creates a separation and relationship with him, that he's not okay with bad marriages. So marriage is not just something, let's lock you into a cage match and just see who wins, who comes out alive last and gets the the life insurance check. That's not what it's about. It's not who can survive the most. That ugly marriages on the inside dishonor God, and so they need to be corrected. The both are important that we have to have not just honor the, what the institution of marriage is, but then honor the institution of marriage by developing and supporting good marriages. So how we treat each other in marriage is it's important. And it's not about the two individuals who are married, right? It's not about culture. It's about God. That we treat each other well out of reverence for God. And you're going to see that as we get into the other thing. The third truth that I wanted to point to as we go through these next few things you're going to see, and these are, are all through Scripture, is this, that the structure and roles in marriage are non-negotiable. 
that God has set up a structure for marriage, just like in the church, right? Pastors have certain jobs. Elders have jobs, right? Uh, members of the congregation have jobs, responsibilities that God will hold us accountable for. Why did God do that? Why is our roles and responsibilities in marriage are not negotiable? Because it's not about people. Marriage is there to reflect who God is. And so God set up a way that marriage is supposed to work, and he says that there are certain roles to be filled, and those roles must be filled in order for the marriage to be healthy, and there are certain people to fill those roles, and how they fill them has to be done in a right and a good way, right? And all of the prophets, all the apostles, and even Jesus uh, had these as assumed roles. I mean, this was just, they would, uh, if you ask them, who was in a marriage, they would say, well, husband and wife, right? That was, he wouldn't even question that. What are the husband's roles? What are the wife roles? They didn't question it. Those were non-negotiable. We can't swap them around. Why? Because it's not about you. It's not about the individuals. It's not about culture. And about, you know, what culture says a man should do or a woman should do. It's not about that. It's about God and reflecting his image and how we reflect his image in our masculinity and femininity. So something that I know will be shocking to most of the world in the futility of their thinking, but, but there are two rule, roles in marriage, and those are wife and husband. Those are the two roles. There aren't three roles in husband uh, in marriage. There aren't five roles in marriage, right? There, aren't, there isn't just one role in marriage, right? There's two roles that need to be filled, and otherwise their marriage doesn't operate very good, right? So you have husband and wife, and they're also a reflection of God's image. Now, uh, in Scripture, you know, it says that the man shall be united to his wife and the two shall become one flesh, right? So you have husband and wife signed up in Scripture. So uh, what are, uh, who fills the role of the wife? Because that is a role. Well, we find that the woman fills the role of the wife. Throughout Scripture, throughout time, it was never questioned. There was never a time I, that you can find in Scripture where it says that the role of the wife should be fulfilled by whoever is best at being supportive. That's not what it says. In Scripture, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to, guess what, his wife. It's, the woman is always the wife in the marriage relationship. Now, not all women are wives. Would we agree? Yeah. Right? So these roles have responsibilities. This is not a gender-based responsibility. This is a role-based responsibility. If, if there is a woman who is married, she is a wife. And all women who are married are wives, but not all women are wives. Because it's important to get that, because what comes next, the responsibility doesn't fall on the shoulders of all women, it falls on the shoulders of wives. And a wife's responsibility is to honor her husband. That's basically her wife's responsibility. That's, that's what she needs to do in all areas of her life that she's supposed to honor her husband. In Ephesians 5, 24, we read about these roles, and in that it says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body over which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, again, notice that this doesn't say women submit to men. That's why I made a big point about that, right? This is not saying all women must submit to all men. It's not what Scripture says at all. In fact, notice it doesn't say all wives need to submit to all husbands. You know how ridiculous that would be? It says... If you're a wife, submit to your own husband. There is one man in the entire world that you have to submit to, so choose him well. <laughs> right? Ain't not your husband, not your problem. But in this role, you have a responsibility, just like on my staff, Jesse, my associate pastor, needs to submit to me in everything. <laughs> <laughs> 
most things, right? In the purview of what the responsibility is, right? As American citizens, we submit to our government according to that law. We don't submit to the Canadian government, right? Not our government. In the role of wife, you honor your husband by submitting to him, right? And it's, and that's a, it's an honoring position. And Colossians, one of those passages that talks about uh, this, it says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord, right? As fitting in the Lord. This is, there's a way of submission that is honoring. Now, submission that is not fitting in the Lord is like, fine, I'm going to do what you say, but I'm going to sabotage it from behind. That's not good, right? That's not a, that's not a good way of doing that. It's recognizing, just like in Christ, we have the church wants to submit to, to Jesus. We don't just follow Jesus with just like, well, I guess we have to do what you say, Jesus. How miserable of a church would that be? Begrudgingly going to love my neighbor, forgive people, care for them. I mean, that would be awful. Fine, I guess I'll go evangelize. Right? That would be awful. The, the church gladly submits and follows the direction of God. It's fitting the Lord. We're enthusiastic about it because we're on the same team, right? I remember when I was associate pastor, because I was there for 10 years, and, and I'm a fairly strong leader, and the lead pastor was a fairly strong, extremely strong leader, and so there was opportunity for us to butt heads, and it was up to me to make sure we didn't butt heads, right? And so part of my role is submitting to my lead pastor was I helped to make good decisions because he didn't always see the full picture. And that was why he had an associate there who was very different than him. He was very wise and he chose me because he's brilliant. <laughs> and I helped him see things that he would never have considered before. I helped him make good decisions. But once the decision was made and there were lots of times he would say, Aaron, I hear what you're saying, but no, we're still going this direction. And he would choose something different than what I wanted. Well, guess what? I wasn't my position. Once I helped him make good decision, it was my job to make his decision right. And there were lots of things in the church that I could have just said fine and just mailed it in and technically submitted to him and we would have failed. And guess what it would have hurt? The entire church. I remember one time there was a life group thing that he decided that we were supposed to do. We went 180 degrees opposite direction than what I wanted to go. And that was really tough for me because I was like, oh, I, I could sabotage this really easy. And I could show him how wrong he was in his wrongness. But I didn't because I have a wonderful wife, and she encouraged me to be mature. <laughs> and I poured myself into that particular thing, and it turned out to be incredibly successful. And we saw people coming to Christ and people reconnecting in the body. And even though I didn't think that was the best way for us to go, I made it work, and it worked really, really well because I submitted to him in a way that was fitting to the Lord. And wives, you have the same thing. If you're having mutiny on the bounty, right, you're, you're going you're gonna to get nowhere. If, if you have, you know, two steering wheels in a car and both operate just as well, you're going to run into trees all the time, right? We need to make sure that we're working together, okay? So how do we let husbands lead? Well, the way that Christ leads the church, right? And, and that's the way that a husband is supposed to lead. So we either honor our husband because he's called to lay down his life for you. He's called to, to lead you to make sure that there's no war. So a wife's role in that, her responsibility is to honor her husband. Her role is scripture. It's said to be the helper. It says the Lord God says, not good for the man to be alone. Amen to that. So it says, I will make a helper suitable for him. Helper is an important thing. This is before the fall. This is before, this was before culture could define roles of women or anything like that. God made women to be a helper. And guess what a helper is? It's the opposite of an adversary. Adversaries are not helpers. In fact, 
That is the complete opposite in adversaries where we get the word devil and Satan. So wives, don't be the devil to your husband, right? Don't be against him. It's not you versus him. This whole battle of the sexist thing was, was, is satanic. And it pits men against women and causes war in the home. And wives, you have the great position to declare peace in your home. Be a helper, Right? And you know, in that way, femininity in being a helper actually reflects God's Holy Spirit, just as the husband and his headship reflects Christ, that, that, that being a helper reflects the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, Jesus talking about sending the Holy Spirit, so he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you. It's kind of like it's not good for the church to be alone. I will send a helper suitable for them. And is not the Holy Spirit helpful? Isn't that high and powerful? Isn't the Holy Spirit majestic and amazing and worthy of, of honor? That helping is not a lowly position at all. It's necessary. And families need wives who help. And so we help wives make, help us make good decisions, just like the Holy Spirit helps us make good decisions. When you pray, do you often pray, Lord, give me wisdom? And who helps you with that? The Holy Spirit. Does the Holy Spirit help bring conviction at times? Does the Holy Spirit help maybe elevate your living so you are become more civilized? <laughs> yeah. The Holy Spirit oftentimes prompts me and says, Aaron, there's a better way to live. You know what the Holy Spirit doesn't do? Just be like, yes, sir. Okay, whatever you want, sir. That's not the Holy Spirit's job. Holy Spirit helps me and guides me and, and elevates me. That's what he does for the church. And that's, the wife really reflects that role in her femininity and bringing that to the marriage. It's a high thing to do. And one other thing I want to point, because when the church is talking following Christ, Jesus is perfect, and, and every woman will testify to this, that her husband is not, right? So I want to point this out, too, that submission is not blind obedience, that there are some who have used this to, to really put women to a position of just being beat down, and that is not the way of God at all. Right? Every Christian, regardless of what role we fill in life, obeys God first. So one of the things in, in Christianity is we're told that we're supposed to submit to our authorities, right? In all things. And yet there are times in Scripture that we can't submit to our authorities in all things. In fact, one of my favorite stories, these three guys, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And there was this, this king, Nebuchadnezzar, who had an awesome name but a really bad idea. Right? His idea was, I want to build this statue of me and have everybody bow down and worship him. If they don't, we're going to burn him alive, right? Because he was flamboyant. And so he gets all of his people together and his high officials, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three believers amongst them, and he has them all bow down, and they don't bow down. They just kind of stand out, literally. And he calls them together, and he says, you better bow down to this, or I'm going to throw you into that furnace. And look at what they say. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, says, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. We want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. They are following God's design. Why? They were submitting to God first before man. And wives... You submit to God first. If your husband tells you to do something sinful, you don't, have, you don't follow that. If a husband tells you to do something contradictory to God's will or his way, do not follow. And part of that is, I think, in, in biblical submission, then a, a husband's role is to provide and protect and to care for his wife. And if a husband is, is not protecting you but is being abusive, you need to help your husband by protecting yourself from him. And if your husband's not providing for you, his, you need to help him by providing for yourself when he's not. 
right? You need to make sure that you protect. That Scripture does not in any way, in any time, permit or endorse or prohibit abuse. Submission is not blind. Obey God first. He's good, right? But if your husband tells you, you know what, we're, we're going to go out to dinner, and he's like, and you're like, well, where do you want to go? And he says, I don't know, what do you want? And you're like, I don't care. And he's like, pizza. And you're like, no, we're not going to do that. And you just be mad the entire time. That's not, a, that's not a, 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 against God's will, right? Just follow. It, it, if there doesn't have to be a war, make sure it's not a war. If it's, if it's an ethical thing, follow God, okay? So we have wives, our helpers, who honor their husbands. That's, that's their role. What about husbands? Well, a husband is a man. Every single time in Scripture, if there's a husband, it is a man. Now, not all men are husbands, so all men have to do this, okay? Right? But if you're a husband, you know, if you're a man and you're married, then you are a husband, and, and only men can be husbands. So you take that role, and what is your role? What is your responsibility? Well, um, Ephesians 5 uh, tells us this. It says, husbands, love your wives. This is Christ loved the church. So we need to do, Right? And how, just as he gave himself up for her to make herself holy, and cleansing her by the washing of the water of the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. So a husband's responsibility is to love his wife. That means to lay his life. doesn't mean just to romance her. That means to love is, biblical love is to choose another's good above your own. Like a, a husband's responsibility is to love his wife. She needs to respect him, but he needs to lay his life down for her. He needs to make sure that, that her life is better because of him, and he's going to do everything he can to make sure that, that she is, is improved in every way possible. That is love, and that's the husband's responsibility. So our example of that is Christ. Christ lays himself down for the church, and then in every single way, there was a benefit to the church, not to Jesus, and is, was Jesus mad about that? No, he, he was glad to be able to provide for the church. And it's in that love that the husband is able to fill his role as the head, right? It is to lead. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, right? And, and, and so he gets to, to lead the family, to be the head of the family, which means leadership and direction, in the context that he's going to use that leadership and that, that authority to benefit his wife, primarily, predictably, reliably, right? Ephesians 5.23 says husband is the head of the wife, right? And how so? As Christ is the head of the church. So husbands, love your wives. If you want to have leadership in your home, make sure that you're choosing her good above your own consistently, that the effect of your marriage is for her benefit. Guess what? It's going to make it a lot easier for her to follow you and respect you if, if you're not driving her off cliffs all the time and if you're not being selfish and making everything about you. Be like Christ. Lay yourself down for your wife. Now, for more on this, husbands and wives and our roles and responsibilities, I gave a really great sermon two years ago. and You can mark it on your calendar. It's in 2019. It was uh, called Identity. And the ser sermon was in there, uh, Marriage, Who Would Become When Two Become One. That's a clever title. And if you want more information, uh, go into this a little deeper as to the roles and responsibilities and what husbands have and the wise responsibilities. You can go to our website, estesparkchurch or funchurch.com. Go to that sermon thing and listen to that, right? Or just come talk with me and, or Jesse, and we would be happy to help you as develop your home as you... Uh, as you Develop yourself, how do you fulfill your role and responsibility in marriage? But 
all of this is, is, is a great things for us because now there are roles and defined responsibilities which helps us to have a good home that reflects God. But there is something that is so important that before Scripture even talks about these roles and responsibilities, it makes sure it points this out, that there is, there is a foundational linchpin upon which a good marriage uh, hangs, that, that, that we must have this thing. And if it's not there, then you can have husbands leading their wives and wives respecting their husbands, and you're still going to miss it. You're not going to reflect God well. And that's in verse 21. It's, it's the key to the whole thing. And it, and it really talks about the foundation of marriage is loving faithfulness, right? That's the foundation. And so let me read that for you. It says, verse 21, maybe, no. Okay, so it says there, as until that moves, uh, it says that uh, uh, you both must submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. Oh, there it is. There it is. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what it says. Do you get that? The wives don't just submit to husbands, but husbands submit to their wives. What is submission? Well, it's laying down your desires, your way, your will for that of another. And wives do that by declaring peace in their home and, and helping their husband and, and following his leadership and making sure there's not power struggles. Husbands do that by laying their lives down, their desires down, their wants down, everything else. They're good down for that of their wives. If a husband submits to his wife in this way and doesn't just use his home to, to make his own world he thinks better, and a wife doesn't, use, you know, doesn't just stand up and say, I'm going to do things my own way, if they both submit to one another out of reverence for Christ... Well, then you're going to have a good foundation of that. You'll notice it doesn't say submit to one another because you're both such great people. Because the Bible knows you. Right? And none of us are that good. And it doesn't say submit to one another because your spouse is so worthy. Because sometimes your spouse isn't all that worthy. It doesn't say submit to one another because you feel like it. It doesn't say submit to one another because it's nice to do. It says submit to one another out of your reverence for Christ, which is why this message is only for believers. The reason that I lay my life down for my wife, sometimes it's because I, I, I want to, because she's a wonderful woman and I want to see her do well, but there are times that I do that primarily because I honor God. And God, my marriage is about reflecting Him. And so when I really want my way and I want to be selfish, out of my reverence for Christ, I'll say, you know what? I'm going to do what's best for Amy, what's best for Thomas. I'm not going to go about what that's what I think is my own best interest. There are times that my wife, if you ask her, that she has been a good helpmeet and has chosen to declare peace in our home, not because I was being so awesome and not because she was feeling it, but because she is a faithful woman and honors God and loves him. And because of that, we had a foundation upon which we can have consistency of reverence for God so we could love each other and be less selfish. So, how do you apply this? This is a good message, isn't it? Yeah, it's great stuff. It's good for our lives. It's good for... So, how do you apply that on your connection card? There are four things I'm going to challenge you today. And the first one is this, to accept God's institution of marriage. And in our culture, we just need to do that. If the church can't accept God's institution, one man, one woman, masculine and feminine, put together by God, a lifelong union between a man and a woman, if the church doesn't even get that, what kind of hope is there for our culture? Our world is, is broken apart by the futility of their best thinking. The first thing we need to do is just to accept it. And this week, I know this is a hard thing because it's contradictory to everything that our culture has said. It's, it's, it's the opposite of their ethic. But I have to tell you, the world's ethic may be off. And look at the world's families. Are they all that great? You know, God is a better way. 
Maybe we'll begin with this week, just make that commitment. God, I don't, I don't understand it, but I'm going to submit to you out of reverence for you. I'm going to trust your design. As you do, that second step is to respect God's purpose for marriage. That is to reflect his goodness. It's not about you. Your marriage is not there to make you happy. Your marriage isn't there to, to, to do anything for you. It, those are benefits of good marriage. But your marriage is primarily there to reflect God, so treat it as a holy thing. Out of reverence for God, fill your role and responsibility. Right? And that's even for those who aren't married yet. We honor marriage. It says the marriage bed should be honored by all. That's everybody. So if you're young, if you're, if you're older, if you've been married, if you're single, if you're widowed, that we honor marriage by respecting the holiness of that union in, in all of our lives. The third thing we want to do is, is to honor God's design for marriage. If you are a man and you're married, be a husband. Lay your life down for your wife. Make her life better. Give her good leadership. Make sure the direction of your home is that that honors God. And if you are a wife, if you are a woman and you are married, be a helper. Be an advocate. Right? Help your husband have a great home and life. Honor him by how you treat one another because of your reverence. Now, the fourth thing is something I hope we all can do, and that's to pray for our families. Every Tuesday, and you'll find that on that yellow card in there, we have a strategy. We're praying for our church and our community. It's our Take 5 thing. Every Tuesday, pray for our families. Can you pray for the families? Because they are under assault. The devil has told us lies about what marriage is. has told us lies about how it's supposed to operate. Can you pray for our families? Can you pray for our young people who aren't married yet? They have a confusing world to grow up in. Can you pray for those who are widowed? Can you pray for those who are single, those who have been divorced? Can you pray for our families in our church so that we could have a, 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 a place here where we support the institution that reflects God's glory the best. Can you do that? You commit to it this week. And the last thing is I always want to make sure, if you are not a believer yet, I want you to know the world has got a futile way of living. There's a reason you're here today, right? There's a better way to live. God has for you, but you have to first follow him, right? So let God redefine you. Uh, you are a sinner. You are who you thought you were, whose culture says, die to that. Let be born again into a new life as a follower of Christ as his child. Be saved by God's grace of your faith. And if you need to take that first step to be a follower of Jesus, what I want you to do after the message, um, come see me. And we're going to help you answer your questions and help you take those first steps of faith. And then there's going to be a church family here that will help you walk in that new life, newness of life together. All right? Hopefully I gave you all something to do. Let me pray for you. And then just a second, we're going to have to pass the offering baskets as we do. Please take those connection cards. Let me know what your commitments are this week. Your prayer requests, drop those in the offering basket. And make those an offering of yourself, of faithfulness, back to God this week. All right, let me pray. Father God, thank you of your goodness, your kindness, your love, your mercy. Lord, that you are not a, a foreign God that is so distant, but you've made yourself uh, a present God, a one that is, is not just uh, among us, but, Father, that you dwell within us, Lord. I, and then you've given us this amazing design to reflect your holiness, your nature, by our masculine, our femininity, and, Father, even in that, that holy union of marriage. Lord, I pray that you would, you would build this church as a strong church family and build the families of this church strong. Help us today use this message to bring joy back into our homes. Help us to honor and, and, and respect and fulfill our roles in a way that bring you glory. Lord, I pray, Father, that you'd help us to make good commitments this week, to help us draw closer to you. Lord, uh, take our tithes and offerings to build your church for you are glorious. We pray all this in the wonderful name of our Savior, Jesus. Let's take a moment to respond to the word of the Lord on our connection cards and then we'll sing a song of response.
ushers, you can come around, and as they come around, would you stand with us as we sing this last song together?